It's good to be with you here this morning. Today we're going to talk about discouragements. Um, life is hard. We know this. Life is full of many trials that come our way. Uh, I was talking, I, I was able to spend time with my grandma, Carol, this past uh, Tuesday, I think it was. We like to go and get Olive Garden. So I can crush some Olive Garden salad and some Zupa Toscana. I don't know about you, and some breadsticks. So she had a gift card, and she always takes me when she gets a gift card. She'll, she'll take me to Olive Garden, and we were talking, and you could just tell that she was discouraged. She's been having a, she's 81 years old. She's been having a lot of different health issues, and it's that whole problem-solving process, exactly what is it, and then she needs a hip replacement, but she is unable to get the hip replacement until, she has to wait until, I think, the end of September, and she, you know, when you know you need to have surgery, you just want to get it over with and be done with it, and so I, I just felt for her, and I think, you know, when we experience discouragement, we can respond to discouragement in a variety of ways, and, and many of them are unhealthy. So some people, for them, it's, you know, they go in hiding, right? They just don't want to deal with the world. They kind of tap out, and they just kind of isolate themselves. That's how they deal with discouragement. You know, some people deal with it by numbing themselves, like they go on a Netflix binge, right? Like that's how they handle discouragement is just... Yeah, trying to numb, and you know, of course, in more uh, more drastic cases, we see people try and numb themselves with substances. And then there are some people, like myself, who can just get lost in their mind and just analyzing why are they discouraged, and you know, what's the problem? What's the solution? Uh, my boys, I was wrestling with my boys. Uh, I think it was just a few days ago, and they looked at me, and they said, you're doing it again. And I said, what am I doing? You're on Mars. We look at you, and nothing is there. And I'm like, man, they're so right. I struggle to be mindfully present with them, especially when I'm going through seasons of discouragement or difficulty. And yeah, man, I was just like, you're right. And so now we joke about, oh, dad's on Mars again. We were having a family night last night. We went and saw Transylvania 3. We, were go to, we went to Cosmos. We had dinner. We got Dairy Queen. It was just great family time, right? The boys got school shoes. Talk about a night. I, yeah, they're, they're spoiled, I feel like. We've got to do something. But... I was zoning out. There were times, dad's on Mars again. I'm like, oh, I got to pull myself together here. I got to be present. Some people, they respond to discouragement by blame shifting, right? It's always somebody else's fault. Other people look for living water in times of discouragement in all the wrong places. And so I wonder, how do you respond to discouragement? You know, what's your tendency when you're going through difficulty? Um, I want to talk about how can we re respond to discouragement in faithful, God-honoring ways today. And how can we find encouragement to combat our discouragement? And so 
Daniel chapter 11 has some answers for us. It's a continuation of the events that we've learned about, that we learned about last week in Daniel 10. You may recall in Daniel 10 that Daniel was discouraged, wasn't he? He was mourning the fact that although his people, after 70 years of being exiled in Babylon, were allowed to return to Jerusalem and start to rebuild, rebuild the temple, that they, those Jewish people, were experiencing a lot of opposition to building the temple. And so he's discouraged, he's frustrated, he's disappointed. Another setback. He's waited so long for his people to finally be able to return home, and now that they're home, they can't even rebuild the most important building in their life and in their lives, and that was rebuilding the, you know, the temple where they worshiped God and met with him. It all came to a drastic halt. We learn, we learn in the Bible that it stopped for a period of 10 to 15 years. And so in Daniel 10, we found Daniel fasting, and he's praying, and he wants to understand what is going on. This was not his five-year plan, right? This wasn't how things were supposed to go. In chapter 10, we have Daniel on the bank of the Tigris River, and he receives this vision, and he learned that there's this invisible war raging between God and his angels and Satan and his fallen comrades, fallen angels. And Daniel was caught up, just like all of us are caught up in this invisible world. There's more to life than what we can see in the physical realm. There's a spiritual realm where the forces of good and evil are battling. And so we learned last week that we must fight. We must fight by recognizing our own limitations. We must fight the spiritual with spiritual power. So we have to be connected to God, and we have to employ the spiritual power we receive from God when we're connected to him. That's how we're going to overcome the enemy who wants to thwart God's plans. Today, let's look at how we overcome discouragement especially when there's one setback after another, when a resolution appears to be a long way off. Let me pray, then we'll read our passage, and then we'll consider how we can do that. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that we get to come and we get to think about ultimate things, that we get to pause our busy lives to reflect on what matters most, And that is you, that is your plan, that's your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, thank you that we have you and that we have your promise that you will overcome the evil one. That one day there will no longer be any discouragement for your children. So we look forward to that future. We look forward to that inheritance. And in the meantime, Lord... I pray that through our passage today, you might teach us how to overcome discouragement when we face it and how to respond in a way like Daniel that is faithful to you. Teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read a passage to you, and when I read it, you're going to be like, what on earth does this have to do with discouragement and overcoming it? You're going to read it, and it's going to be so confusing, most likely, 
And I hope to make some sense of it for you. Because again, I've been saying this through the sermon series, all of God's word is profitable, right? For training in righteousness. And so my job is to teach the whole counsel of God. Um, so let me read it to you. It's, I cut verses out. We're not going to read the whole, whole of chapter 11. I think we can get the gist of the chapter by reading the verses I have selected. We're going to start in verse 15, and then we'll read to the end of chapter 11. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city. And the forces of the, the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist. But he who comes against him shall do according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom, and the upright ones with him thus shall he do. And he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it, but she shall not stand with him or be for him. After this he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall take many. But a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end. And with the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land. But he shall stumble and fall and not be found. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. And in his place shall rise a vile person to whom... They will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away before him, from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacy shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table. But it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. While returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return and rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant, and forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. 
Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join them by intrigue. And some of those understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. For he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses. And a God which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with the foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory." And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. At the time of the end of the king of the south shall attack him. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. And he shall also enter the glorious land. And many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also, the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he, pl- he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. Got it? So, in this confusing passage that details how history is going to unfold for God's people, we find these gold nuggets for overcoming discouragement and setbacks. And, and here they are. In order to persevere, in order to remain faithful in a faithless generation, in order to find encouragement over our discouragement, we must believe, we must resist, and we must teach. We must believe in God's sovereignty. We must resist the false narratives of our world. We must teach others that history has a goal, in a purpose that has been set by God. So let's look at the first one. We must believe in God's sovereignty. In chapter 11, we have this angelic messenger explaining to Daniel what the future holds for God's people, right? And it's a flurry of detail that covers the flow of history from the time of Daniel, which is the 6th century B.C., all the way up to the end of the world. And there's such a wide agreement on who Daniel is talking about in this chapter among commentators regarding who these kings and kingdoms are that Daniel is referring to. And if you just take two kingdoms that Daniel really uh, hones in on in verses 15 through 20, um, one commentator says that he, Daniel, refers specifically in a historically identifiable way to 
13 of the 16 rulers of these two kingdoms between 322 and 163 B.C. And what's so remarkable, you got to catch this, what's so remarkable about the accuracy of these predictions, well, that's what's so remarkable, is the accuracy of these predictions. It's so remarkable, in fact, that some scholars argue that this was not prophecy, that this was Daniel reporting on history, that this already had happened, and he's pretending that he is, you know, has predicted the, 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 the future. But I don't think any of these arguments hold any weight. What we have here is detailed, uh, predictive prophecy regarding future events. And so now the question becomes, why on earth did God give Daniel this prophecy? Why did he give so many details regarding the flow of human history? Why on earth would God want us to read a passage like this on a Sunday morning? This is why. He wa- and this is what he wanted for Daniel, I believe. He wanted to encourage Daniel and his people who were discouraged by what was going on with the opposition they were experiencing regarding building the temple because he wanted to remind Daniel and his people that despite present circumstances, God is in control. God wanted to show Daniel that he had a plan, that he had it all worked out, that he was working all of history, even kings and kingdoms, the most powerful people in the world. He was working through them to accomplish his purposes. God was calling Daniel to renew his trust and faith in his sovereignty. I think God is calling us this morning to renew our faith and trust in God's sovereignty. And he wants us to read Daniel chapter 11 so that we can look at it and be like, oh my goodness, Daniel predicted all of this history before it happened. Surely I can trust God with my present difficult circumstances because he is in control. Look, Daniel eleven thirty two 32 tells us that those who know their God, it's those who know their God that shall be strong and carry out great exploits. God wanted Daniel to know his sovereignty. He knew that Daniel would need to refresh and renew his faith in God's sovereignty to overcome the discouragement that he was experiencing. Look, God's sovereignty is the foundation of all of our hope. It is the foundation of all of our hope. If we don't have God's sovereignty, we don't have anything because life would just be a random set of circumstances that come at us with no meaning or purpose behind them. Everything would be so out of control. You know, when circumstances do come our way, and they do seem to be random, we need to remember that, look, this isn't catching God by surprise. He's not sitting there thinking and wondering, now what should I do? The, the apparent randomness and the discouragement and the setbacks, he's using it all to accomplish his good purposes. That's what God is doing. Everything is still going as God had planned it to go. Everything is still on God's timetable. 
Look, if God wasn't sovereign, how depressing it would be if history had no goal, if it had no purpose, how empty life would seem, if history was just an assortment of random circumstances, going nowhere, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, right? And just live for pleasure. But the Bible tells us that God is sovereignly leading the world somewhere. Jesus is returning. Earthly deeds will be judged and faithfulness to God will be rewarded. The earth will be made new and evil will be defeated forever and, and, and banished from the world forever. And because God is sovereign, nothing can stop him from accomplishing these things. And as God's child, God is sovereignly working in your life to make things work out for your good, which means you cannot ultimately mess up your life. You can't. You cannot ultimately mess up your life. If he's working all things out together for your good, you cannot mess it up. That's, that includes your failures. He's working all things together for your good, your failures, your miscalculations, even your sin, all things he's working out for your good. Uh, Mary's been reading a book by Jenny Allen, Nothing to Prove. She's reading it with the girls in, in, in our life group. And, you know, Jenny Allen, she was feeling led to do this if-gathering conference for women and just really, I think, feeling the pressure of being led to do that. Also, you know, being a mom, writing books. And, and she ended up just reaching out. She saw this older gentleman, and I forget where she was at, and ended up walking with this older gentleman and just pouring her heart out to this random older guy for a period of an hour and he was, turns out, he was a really godly man. And the man told Jenny Allen, you know, he said basically to her, look, if this dream is from God, you can't mess it up. And if it's not from God, then it will not come to pass, and that will be good because it's not, not his plan. And so... I just think that as Christians, knowing that God is sovereign, we should be able to live lives that really put ourselves out there. We can't mess it up. We can be bold. We can be courageous. If God wasn't in control, you wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I wouldn't want to. What if you get out on the wrong side of the bed? What if you get out of bed 10 minutes later than what you should, and that puts you in a, an accident? A car accident on your way to work, right? What if you zigged when you should have zagged? Suffering, setbacks, disappointment would all be unredeemable if God was not in control. So, if you are currently experiencing a setback, child of God, do not be discouraged, but take heart. It is all a part of God's plan for you, and he is working it for your ultimate good. And as verse 35 says, through setback and discouragement, he is refining and purifying you. And so, along with believing in God's sovereignty, we must also, to preserve through setbacks, or to persevere, I should say, through setbacks and to overcome discouragement, we must resist the false narratives of the world. The angel of God that spoke to Daniel in chapter 11, 
he predicted this evil reign of Antiochus IV. We've talked about this guy. He was an evil, evil man. Daniel predicts this guy's reign. He predicts him coming on the scene and oppressing and opposing God's people. Daniel 11.32 says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall, referring to Antiochus, Corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. What this is saying is that Antiochus was going to flatter some Jews, and through this flattery, he would entice them to come to his side, the dark side. We don't know exactly how Antiochus seduced the Jews. Was it with power? Was it with money? Was it with comfort? Was it with popularity? But we need to know this, when we are discouraged, when life is not going according to our plans, when we have experienced one setback after another setback, Satan loves to come whispering in our ear. And you know what? He loves to come and whisper to us when we're discouraged. You don't deserve this. God isn't being fair. God doesn't love you. You can't trust God. Wouldn't it just be easy if you lived like the rest of the world? Wouldn't it just be more, wouldn't it just be easier and more enjoyable if you just threw this godly living stuff out the window and spent your money however you want to spend it and spent your time however you want to spend your time? Do you really want to keep fighting only to experience one setback after another? And never actually turn the corner? You're not finding satisfaction with God, so why don't you immerse yourself in your work or your family or your golf game or in buying new things or in, in travel? That will make you fulfilled. Figure it out. Say you're not enough. If you were enough, you would have turned a corner. You would have figured it out. These are the false narratives that the enemy loves to whisper in our ears when we're discouraged. And Satan, he's like a prowling lion. And lions, they ambush their prey. And so Satan is always looking for when we're in our weak moments, when we're in that weak moment of discouragement to come and to attack us. We must resist this false narratives, these false narratives that Satan likes to tell us. That real joy is found in building our life on foundations other than God. That throwing in the towel in our Christian walk is the way to go. That our success is totally dependent on us, so we better strive and strive and strive and overwork and, and impress. And that will never turn a corner. That God can't be trusted or that he's being unfair. The enemy is a liar. Perhaps discouragement and frustration has made you vulnerable. Be strong. Resist the enemy. Resist his false stories. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. Elijah is always, I'm always pushing him to do adventurous things, right? And he's always giving me, the, you know, a rationale as to why it's not going to work. Right? I have this little bike that I hooked up to my bike that has a tire on it, handlebars. He can pedal behind me as we ride bikes. I'm taking him out of the driveway to go down Worcester Street, right? 
And he's like, we can't go on this road. We can't ride a bike on this road. And, you know, it's a busy road. I said, Elijah, I will wait till I see no cars at all, and we will drive right down to the road that's going to take us to the towpath. We are going to be fine. But we, Elijah, will you just trust me? Isaiah, on the other hand, I took him on the same bike ride the day before. I'm like, we're going on Worcester Road. He's like, sweet, let's do it. <laughs> just a difference in personality. Like, cool. But don't you think that God is like that with us? Like, will you trust me? I have got you. I know the number of hairs on your head. My thoughts about you are more numerous than the sand on the seashore. Trust me. You can't mess it up. Ultimately, I should say, throw that in there. Look, you're going to get through this season of discouragement. It won't be painless, right? We talk about this. It won't be quick, probably. But God's going to use this mess for good. Don't be foolish. Don't be naive. But don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. Look, last thing. We must also, so we got to believe in God's sovereignty. we got to resist the false narratives of the enemy and of the world. And thirdly, to overcome discouragement, we must teach others that history has a goal and a purpose that has been set by God. So in the days of evil Antiochus, in his opposition against God's people that we you know, read about here in our passage today, he says this, Daniel says this in, in chapter 11, verse 33. It says this, that those who know their God and stand strong will be those who will instruct many. You know what? There's probably no better way to embed God's truth deep in your heart than sharing your faith, sharing God's promises, his truth with other people. What grows our faith? Sharing our faith. What grows our hope, sharing our hope. As we pour over God's truth and his promises so that we're able to explain them to others, boy, those promises and that truth has a way of just so rooting itself in our own hearts and minds and so permeating our souls and our being that we live from that overflow. And when we experience the joy of seeing somebody grow in their faith. It has a way of so encouraging us in our own walk. I've personally experienced this. I remember uh, not too long ago, I'm sitting at a basketball game, and I am talking to a uh, uh, about one of the, the people in our life group, one of the guys that coaches in our life group, and I got to hear how one of the coaches says, what, what's different about him? This time around coaching, he's different, and his wife was telling me the story, and she said, you know, we were able to tell him he, he's got some Jesus inside of him, you know? And that God had to allow me to be a part of that. Man, I was ready to... Let's do ministry. Let's keep going, you know? So, look, this was true for the Apostle Paul. What encouraged him in his times of discouragement and trials was the, the, the reality that people he had invested in were growing in their faith because he had shared his faith with other people. Look, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he shares this, his great excitement over the fact that they were just, the Thessalonians were growing in their faith. 
and that they had retained and implemented all that he had taught them. And all the persecution that Paul had experienced to do it, it was all worth it in Paul's mind. Check out Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affected God, but all longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, as you uh, know now, we exhorted and comforted and charge every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For what is our hope? Check this out. What, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. That's how Paul thought about the Thessalonians. If you were, if, if 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9, he continues on. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we are comforted, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. You see, what got Paul through the shipwreck, what got Paul through the stonings, what got Paul through all the sleepless nights and all the travel was the encouragement he received from the people that he had shared his faith with, that there was fruit being bore in their lives. And so, look, if you want to overcome discouragement and setbacks and trials in your own life, you have got to focus on other people other than yourself, in your own discouragement, in your own difficulty, and you've got to invest and pour yourself into another person by sharing your faith and the hope that you have in Jesus. You see, we've said this before, discipleship is a win-win. It's a win for the person doing the discipling because it's, it's sharpening their own faith and they're receiving encouragement as the person that they disciple grows in their faith. And, of course, it's a win for the person being discipled because they're learning about Jesus. And they have a person that's walking alongside of them in their faith journey. Has your Christian journey become stale? Has it become boring? Has it become ho-hum? Are you discouraged and frustrated perhaps apathetic and indifferent. 
follow God's great commission and feed your faith to someone else and you're going to find your faith being fed. Let's wrap this up. Look, there's no shortage of setbacks and trials and discouragement in this life. This is just the truth. And there are going to be times when we're discouraged. But we can choose how we respond to that discouragement. And instead of responding to our discouragement with, you know, over-striving or with trying to numb ourselves or by going into hiding or blame-shifting or getting lost in our minds, we can fight discouragement by believing, resisting, and by teaching others, right? We must believe in God's sovereignty. We must resist the false narratives of our world. We must teach others that history has a goal and purpose that has been set by God. If there's anybody here that is really feeling discouraged this morning, I would love to pray with you, and we can go in the library and pray. I'll just be standing by the door. Um, Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, you told us life would not be easy. You told us that uh, in this world we will have trouble. But you also told us that you have overcome the world. Lord, I pray that we would find such peace in knowing that you are in control. That despite present circumstances that seem random and that seem overwhelming, You are working out your good purposes, which includes working for our ultimate goal, our ultimate good. May we rest in that knowledge. May this morning we renew our faith in that truth. Lord, help us to resist the enemy who loves to fire his fiery darts at us and loves to tell us lies, loves to tell us false narratives that loves to try and tempt us and and get us to to doubt your goodness, to doubt your sovereignty, to doubt that you're really, truly for us and that you love us and that in you we are enough and that in you, you're the one who does the heavy lifting and the things that you've called us to, that we can relax in your easy yoke enemy doesn't want us to believe that and to walk in that help us to do that lord i pray that we wouldn't be just uh dead ends in terms of just acquiring knowledge and information that teach for ourselves that we would like that we would be people that teach others the hope that we have in you that we would desire if we're not to that point where we can teach others that we would desire to get to a place where we can confidently do that and we would put in the work that we would partner with you so that we can be that person. Lord, help us to have eyes to see the people around us and their needs and help us to have the desire to want to help them by sharing our life and our faith with the people in, in, uh, around us that are needy. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.